2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This is Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth, with your host, Christina Rivera. In this savvy broadcasting series, we delve into hot topics affecting us all. With cancel culture and big tech censoring any opposing ideas and thoughts outside of mainstream ideology, it has become more important than ever that we tell the raw truth about everything from U.S. world politics, COVID, Christianity, and everything in between. We invite all points of view to come and share their perspective honestly and respectfully. Hi, Dan Badar, welcome to savvy broadcasting forbidden speech, the raw truth. We're so grateful to have you here today. We're going to talk about the popularity of electric vehicles, are they getting more popular? Um, the White House has pushed some new initiatives to get people interested in using electrical vehicles. And guess what? I love smart cars, electric vehicle, but I've always had concerns about is it really the best way to go? And you're going to share all of that with us because you are um, the CEO and director of Ideal Power, and they're um, a main industry out there, um, getting people involved with that. And before that, you worked as CEO of Fuel Cell Energy. Um, but before we go to share all that, what even brought you into the fuel electric sector?
2: Well, <laughs> You know, I, uh, I've been involved in new energy technologies uh, most of my career. And, you know, if you think about who are the big users of energy, it's obviously, you know, the transportation sector is one of the biggest. Mm-hmm. So it's been you know a pleasure for me to be involved in bringing technologies that can help make things we use every day more efficient and, and more environmentally sound at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, I love that part. And I think one of the biggest concerns for me, like I, I have a smart car, which does take considerably less fuel just based on how small it is. Um, but I love the electric smart, which is the way they went before they decided to stop making smart in the U.S. Um, but the one concern I had was how far could I get? Would I run out of fuel? What would happen? Because one of the big things I get from a lot of people, is I love the idea of helping the environment going electric. But what if there's nowhere to fuel my car up with, you know, Electric gas stations, or whatever they call it, you know, charging. It's still, stations.
2: One of the, it's still one of the biggest concerns. You know, the that that fear of you know being able to use a, an electric vehicle the way we've accustomed to and just going as far as we want, wherever we want, and there's a convenience of being able to refuel them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fear still exists, and I think it's one of the things that keep people from buying more electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. But that'll change. There's a significant investment that's going on in building out that charging infrastructure. And entire companies that have built business models around building and owning and operating uh, basically electric charging stations.
1: Mm. And now tell me what I'm really interested in, Dan, say I have my electric smart car today and I, you know, plug it into my house. What is really the significant savings with, you know, plugging in as opposed to going to gas? Now, I know gas has gone up and all, but I'm sure my energy will go up if I continue to use, you know, the plug in. Uh, What is the cost effectiveness of plugging in as opposed to gas?
2: It depends a lot on where you are, you know, just like regional gas prices change, the regional electricity prices change, and the time of day when you charge can change a lot. Also, um, most places have time of use uh, pricing. So if you are looking to charge your electric vehicle during the peak of the afternoon, when there is the maximum demand on the utility system for air conditioning for your homes and businesses, you're going to pay more than if you charge it at home uh, in your garage overnight when demand is really low.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing to think about. I think we, we, as you mentioned, just when we got started with our conversation, people have become used to convenience. Turn on the air conditioning, turn on this, turn on that without realizing how much are we turning on? How much are we sucking from the generators, um, electric generators, which also do have to depend on using some fuel and some oil powered stuff to keep them going. So we over the grid system. If we're not careful.
2: Well, it's actually going to get to be a a more significant challenge. I mean, transportation is one of the biggest sources of energy consumption in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, The utility infrastructure that's out there today that provides electricity to your homes and businesses wasn't built to actually accommodate everybody shifting to electric vehicles. So there's going to have to be a pretty substantial investment in the electric utility infrastructure to accommodate all these new charging stations and all the demand that's going to be placed on that infrastructure as people want to charge their vehicles at any time during the day.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything people should be aware of with the switch if they say, hey, I want to go out there and get an uh, electric powered vehicle? What should I what do I need to know when looking for one? Um and, and using electric vehicles?
2: Well, you know, I think the thing that really gets most people's attention is the cost of a lot of electric vehicles is still really high. Um, they're made in small volumes compared to combustion vehicles, um, so they don't have the economies of scale yet. And, you know, the biggest cost component in the electric vehicle is the batteries and the highest cost component in the batteries is the lithium that that is used and lithium has gone up 500% in the last few years because of all the demand. So I think cost is the issue that people are going to have to really do their homework on make sure they really understand, you know, what are the cost alternatives that are out there for vehicles. Um, I think what they'll find is once they've they've made that sunk cost in in buying the vehicle, I think they're going to find it pretty economical if they are, you know, judicious about the timing of when they charge them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's sad that they stopped making smart in the U.S. because I thought they were very affordable. Even for the electric smart, I think it was 20, 25 K and they're phenomenal little cars. I mean, I'm a big fan of them, Um, but so it's sad they left. I'm hoping they'll come back with, uh, you know, smart car or excuse me, electric cars are are more affordable for everyone. Um, But now I'm curious as well, then speak to us about the, you know, like the batteries and such. Once those are used and such, how does that get taken care of when we have to get rid of them or whatever? And they go back to the environment. I I worry a little bit about that.
2: You should. It's it's actually, I think, one of the significant challenges that the industry is going to have to deal with. You know, we have a recycling infrastructure for the traditional lead acid batteries that are in you know the conventional cars. There is no recycling infrastructure for the lithium ion batteries, you know, because there's just not enough lithium ion re- battery, battery recycling to do that. And I think that's where industry and government need to work together to get ahead of that, because what we don't want is a situation like what we see in the solar industry, where the early installations for solar panels are now ending up, you know, with the panels going to the landfills where they are leaching cadmium and selenium based compounds that are toxic.
0: Uh, it's a,
2: it's a challenge for the lithium ion batteries because when they are sort of end of life in the vehicle, they still have a lot of energy and lithium fires uh, are a problem. You know, if, if, if you've ever seen a, a lithium ion battery on fire, they are very hard to put out. Um, Because they lithium actually reacts with water rather Mm -hmm. violently. Um, So you don't want things like that ending up in the landfill. So I think there needs to be some work uh, that industry and government have to work on together to figure out how Mm -hmm. do we get that recycling infrastructure in so we don't have you know, 10, 15 years from now, a whole bunch of batteries going to landfills when there's a much better and probably more uh, more economical and more environmentally sound way to deal with that end of life scenario for the batteries.
1: Mm-hmm. We might be able to take them apart and reuse certain things. And, yeah, you, know, you, know,
2: just... he, it's, you know, and when you think about and when you look at batteries for a vehicle, they take a lot of energy for the propulsion of the vehicle. But what would be considered end of life for a mobile application there's still plenty of energy left where you could take those batteries and make them available for people to use in their home and business. So at the peak time of the day, if they wanted to take energy from the batteries, instead of paying their utility at the premium price, they can use the batteries (laughs) and recharge those batteries at night when the energy cost from utility is low. So there Mm -hmm. there are ways of reuse that I think could really prolong the useful life of those batteries. And then ultimately the ultimate recycling screen scheme to get the lithium out of the batteries into some other useful purpose.
1: Yeah, I love that we are going here, Dan, because I have a couple of things in my house that are battery chargeable. And Mm -hmm. at the end of its cycle, I'm never sure what to do with it. Where do I bring it? What do I do with it? What do you suggest to any customers who do have electric anything in their house? And they're like, okay, I'm done with this, but I just don't want to throw it into my garbage.
2: Well, there are a lot of places that actually allow you to recycle traditional batteries where you can go to, uh, you know, electronic stores and so forth, where you can actually turn them in and they aggregate them and they send them off to companies that will actually take those batteries and strip them down to the basic components and get useful life out of those materials.
1: Nice, nice. Now, what what do you see the future, say 10 years from now with electric vehicles? How do you see it, uh, envision it?
2: I I think that we are going to see them pretty widespread in terms of their adoption. I think we're going to see the infrastructure to charge them is going to be immensely more convenient than it is now. I think Mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of conventional gas stations converted to electric charging stations because they're already in great locations. And you'll see the cost of electric vehicles and the the range of selection of vehicles be much better than it is today because you've Mm -hmm. got so many of the major manufacturers, you know, folks like Volkswagen and others that have already said, we are going full electric. We are going to move away from conventional combustion vehicles, and that's going to mean more models, more variety, and lower cost as they make higher and higher volumes of those vehicles.
1: Yeah, I love that vision. Now, for people who might be on the lower end of spectrum when when it comes to economics, uh, what do you suggest for them getting on board to start if they can't afford an electric vehicle today or in the next couple of years? Well, I
2: think for a lot of them, it's it's really weight, because as Mm -hmm more players come into the space with models you know they're not going to be all targeting the $100,000 Tesla Model S's i mean if you look at where the vast majority of vehicles are that are sold mm-hmm. they are really you know the cars that people use every day you know commuter cars cars that are great for rather limited mileage you know if you're working in an urban area so mm-hmm. i think there's going to be a wide range of choices of lower cost models that are going to be just like buying a conventional car you want to go out and buy a Toyota Prius or you know you know mm-hmm. small commuter kind of vehicles? They're going to be there. It's just going to take yeah. a little time to get uh, those models into production.
1: Yeah, and you know what, Dan? Most people, or I'd say a good portion of people, actually don't buy them straight out. Often they'll do a lease back and hopefully there'll be more of those type of vehicles available for leaseback if you're not ready to just put down all the money for a vehicle today. But also, you mentioned something else very important, Dan, which is um, just rethinking the whole thing. Like when you go on a new say. Um, way to eat and and new lifestyle and you decide, okay, I've got to prepare my meals so I can eat properly. Well, now if you want to get around properly and you have electric vehicle, it just means, okay, where am I going this week? What's the distance? What do I have in battery power? And kind of just planning a little bit.
2: That's part of it. I think you're also going to see people's view of how they use automobiles change. Um, I think you're going to see companies are going to put together business models that actually enable you to have, partial ownership of vehicles. Because if you think about it, you know, cars continue to get more and more expensive as they get more and more technology in them. But the car is a really low utilization asset. It sits idle 95% of the time, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, models where you can share ownership um, and participate in Owning a vehicle that is that is relatively new in collaboration with others based on your use patterns, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see those kind of business models come so that people don't have to dish out the money to buy you know, a know, dollars $30,000, $40,000 vehicle. They can do something that is much lower cost, still give them access to state-of-the-art technology, state-of-the-art vehicles, uh, and have a, a really great high-performance ride that's available to them when they need it.
1: Mm. you know, this brings to mind for me, Dan, uh, my husband is a pilot, and they have lease backs for um, like Cirrus aircrafts and such that, you know, they're quite expensive. They're like a half million dollars for an aircraft. Mm-hmm. Most people are like if you're in middle of the range, bringing in 150 200 grand a year, a little outside your price range per year, but a number of them will lease back with a number of other people together and, and then get on a timeshare of sorts where you share the aircraft when needed. So y'all get to have dibs to it and not have to take it out of pocket, all the risk.
2: Yeah. That that model really applies to to vehicles as well. And it's a lot more practical because for most people, you know, there are times if you live in an urban area, chances are you don't even use a vehicle most of the time, but when you do want to go out of the city, you want to have access to one. You don't necessarily want to own it because you've got to pay to have someplace to park it. It sits most of the time. So those kind of ownership models where you can lease the use of it for a period of time uh, and schedule its use uh, makes a lot of sense for people.
1: Yeah. And they also had something in Manhattan where you could, um, by day, rent an electric car or rent Mm -hmm. a car for the day. That way you don't have the insurance you have to deal with and all the other responsibilities of having a car. You could rent one for the day. Well, this has been fascinating. Where do people find out more about you, Ideal Power? How can they do that?
2: They can take a look at our website. It's www.idealpower.com. You can learn about our technology that we're bringing to things like improve the efficiency of solar energy, electric vehicles, and a whole variety of applications.
1: Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming to Savvy Broadcasting's Forbidden Speech today.
2: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: You betcha. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more Forbidden Speech or Savvy episodes, visit... SavvyBroadcasting.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at LifeUnscriptedRadio.com.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.